Hello and welcome to This is a Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent half a lifetime designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guest about the jewellery they cherish most of all. We'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds we just can't do without. My guest today is the jewellery and silver expert Kate Flitcroft. You recognise her off the telly. She's the one on Antiques Roadshow telling a woman who bought a castle top card case for £40 is an actually valuable piece worth about £600. You know how it goes. Kate is the first actual jewellery expert that we've ever had on the podcast so that'll be interesting. Kate's originally from Kansas. After completing her architecture degree she came over to the UK in 2006 to study art and she's never really left. She earned an FGA from the Gemological Association of London where she's currently a tutor and after 10 years at Christie's Kate joined Lion and Turbel, where she was head of jewellery and silver, and she's just joined Bonhams. She joined the Antiques Roadshow team in 2018. She's fellow of the Gemological Association of Great Britain, and she now lives in London with her husband and son, and, I think I'm right, with her King Charles Spaniel named Milton. We like dogs on this podcast. Kate Flitcroft, thank you very much for being a guest on This Is A Token. in our workshop. Yes, I'm so happy to be here <laughs> physically in person. Looking at jewelry in person is one of my so favorite nice. things to do. Um, Kate, we first met ages ago mm-hmm. at an event run by the Women's Jewelry Network, was it? Yes, that's right. It was for International Women's Day. I remember the panel discussion and lovely Beanie Major was... Um, you can't say you're emceeing a panel discussion. She's moderating, moderating. That's the official. You no, know, I'm so bad at the football. <laughs> I was out with my mates, and I was talking about the people watching, and I called them the audience, and they all just <laughs> like my cover was blown. And I, th- I thought, what's the word for people watching a football during the World Cup? You cannot be a bloke in a pub with your mates and calling them the audience. The audience. So yeah, I get these things confused. Yeah, that's I think they just called a crowd. Crowd, yeah, crowd. <laughs> you were at the Women's Jewelry Network thing. Oh God, I've got no idea why I was there, but you were there because I think your kind of work auctioneering, which was traditionally been quite a male-dominated world, am I right? Yes, that's correct. So I became an auctioneer at Christie's first, and it was an intense. And life-changing experience going through the training to become an auctioneer. And I say that because I really, really wanted it. And I was very nervous that they were only going to put through one woman because of the sort of demographics of it. Mm. And I was there in the tryouts with my best friend and colleague at the time, sort of looking at each other, thinking who's it going to be? And to our great surprise and joy, they ended up putting through four auctioneers that year. So they started out with 40. And I should explain the process a little bit. So you're invited to a tryout and that tryout is everyone they think might have potential. 
So you could work in the post room or you could work, you know, as a senior international director. So anyone within the company mm-hmm. are asked to try out to be an actual auctioneer. And the auctioneer is kind of like the striker of the football team. It's the sharp end, isn't it? It's the yeah. glamour and where, where the money's at, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it feels fantastic being the auctioneer. And I'll tell you why. But the tryout process is incredibly, I would say, equitable because it is based on your interest, but also your aptitude. And then they say it's a training, but really you have to take it upon yourself to train yourself. So seek out other auctioneers who you think are um, fantastic, learn about what their methods are and ask for mentorship. How many other female auctioneers were there at the company at the Mm. time and were there any in jewellery and silver? That's a very good question. In fact, one of my friends and colleagues, Anna Evans, she was an auctioneer, still is an auctioneer. And that was fantastic because she was actually in the decorative arts Mm. cluster that we call Mm. it. So I knew her well and that really gave me a sense of belief that it could happen. You see what I mean? Did I she mentor you? I mean, is it easier as a woman to have a woman mentor? Because I've heard things like, you know, when women were joining the House of Commons and being MPs and stuff, mm. it was just a different experience for women because it was very much a man's world. And so it was really helpful to have a female mentor to help you through that. Yes. Was it the same at Christie's or...? Yes, I'd say Anna was pivotal in the sense that she was kind and open and I felt I could ask her questions and she was available to me. She made herself available and I didn't feel intimidated to ask her questions because I felt we were coming from the same place. But equally, I suppose the competitive nature of the whole process means that really you have to seek out an auctioneer whom you admire and whose style you think you really could mesh with your own sort of personality. And so my feeling about that was a man called Hugh Edmeads, and he is an international auctioneer. He was head of auctioneering at Christie's at the time, and he still is, I'm pleased to say, hopefully he won't disagree, um, my mentor and a great support for me. So he he was part of the selection process, so he couldn't really mentor me, but I did ask for his support becoming a charity auctioneer, which I did before the selection process. Mm. So I took some charity sales before the actual selection process went through. So these are almost like sort of dress rehearsal auctions that are fun and they're precious less because it's all good. It's all going to a, yeah. nice, a nice charity rather than, you know, the real McCoy people wanting the top dollar for their piece. I'm just interrupting oh, yes. um, to say that whenever we start recording here, the dustbin start emptying the bins downstairs. So you might hear noises. So apologies for all the background noises, but it's nice to be here at Snowsfield. So. so back to the story. You were trialing out in a very competitive world and yes. there were 40 of you. Yes. You got down to the last two with your best mate. Well, we got that. We, we got down to the last. I'd say um, it was over a, a sort of process, and they begin voting you off, and so you go through these sort of tranches. So I think they see you. There's sort of three dates where you go and you have the tryout, and each date the group of potential auctioneers gets smaller and smaller and mm-hmm. smaller, and so it got down to I think there must have been five of us. 
And it's like Bake Off or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's sort of like American off. Idol or something. When people dropped off, did you get to say goodbye to them or did oh, they just not God. turn up the next day? It was horrible because the thing is, is that some folks really want it and yeah. others are just doing it because they think they'd be good at it or they're yeah. interested or and others, yeah. you know, they may have been at the company for a really long time. This might be their third time trying out oh. or it's a real mix. So you kind of don't really know you, what's going to happen. The email would come out and I remember oh. I was actually on evaluation with my, my best pal, Gemma, and we were doing evaluation together and I remember the email coming through to say we'd both been passed through to the next round and I just remember crying in the middle of this client's house and that's not something I would normally do. So yeah, I remember the email came through and they ended up putting through, I think, four of us in the end yeah. made it to take a real sale. And we call ourselves the class of 2012 and we're still in touch today. We're and still all at it? Yes. Let's see. Well, Gemma and I both made it. End of the story. So Gemma and I both made it through. She just took the evening sale in New York, which yeah. is huge for a major auction house to have a woman taking a massive evening sale. Is Gemma American or is she English? So she's English. I'm so, so intrigued. So she's English in New York. Yes. And you're American in London. Yes. Right? She, I like that. Yeah. She moved to New York a few years ago. So I miss her greatly. My favourite movie of all time is, is the worst movie of all time. It's Tell called me. Mickey Blue Eyes with um, Hugh Grant. Uh, <laughs> I love just thinking about it. So that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of her being a bit like Mickey Blue Eyes, being Aww. very British in an auction house over in... Yes. In New York, okay. Oh, we made yeah, it through, so. and I would say it's interesting because um, one of the things that Gemma and I talked about afterwards was that, I mean, there was no indication that they were going to make the selection based on gender. And in the end, they didn't. You know, you speak right. to Hugh now, and he just said, you know, these were the the folks who who were the best qualified, the best prepared, and or showed the most potential. And that's fantastic. And I really, I feel like that experience really galvanized me to think that you can do things. Obviously, we all can do things, but it is a changed environment and that there are men and women in the leadership of organizations who don't signal out men versus women. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, certainly now, I took my first sale at Bottoms this week and enjoyed it immensely. And um, I remember walking down some stairs and peeking in the another sale room and seeing an incredibly dynamic woman on the rostrum right there. So her stuff. Yeah, so it was fantastic. I imagine it's a bit like being the conductor of an orchestra because and, yeah. and, you're up there and the mood of the room and what happens is all down to you, right? This is going to sound really kind of silly, but I used to wait tables and if you're mm. kind of like the main waiter in a restaurant, I felt like the conductor, you could make the room buzz and everyone was having a good time or not, depending on how you dealt with everyone. Is it like being a conductor of an orchestra or something? I mean, is it the buzz that you love? I love that description that you can make the room buzz or not. And that is that's the great joy of it so if you're in a situation where you've got the room buzzing Hugh my mentor would say just keep the ball in the air your yeah. job is to keep the that's ball not, in the that's air that's not Hugh Grant by the way from yeah, um, uh, Mickey Blue Eyes it's the different Hugh we're talking about <laughs> not uh, yeah not Hugh Grant um, but Hugh Edmeads yeah he would yeah. just say you know keep the ball in the air keep the energy up and so that's exactly like that I've never conducted an orchestra so I cannot say nor have I waited tables I would be the most terrible waitress alive I would try 
drop everything. There's like a reality TV show where you get to, to conduct an auction. I think you'd be good at it. Would you like that? That sounds amazing. Too scary. I thought you were going to say there's a reality TV show for like the best waitress, and I would just no, I would like <laughs> drop. You know, everything. it's like one of those Bake Off ones, but I think it was for a conductor. I think I saw it, and it's wow. just really interesting to see. As an auctioneer, part of it is is showmanship because mm, yes. you have to make the room sparkle and, mm. and make the things you're selling sparkle. But you're incredibly knowledgeable as well. So is it 50-50? Do you need both? Can you just be a great mm. personality and, and not have much knowledge or wouldn't that work? No, I think there are a few skills you need. So they say charisma, which I suppose is the sparkle you speak yeah. about. You definitely need to not be afraid of speaking in public. So a certain amount of confidence in, in that area is fine. Numeracy. So you, that was the thing I was most worried about, actually, because um, quite a lot of the mechanics around auctioneering is making sure that you're what we call on the right foot or the wrong foot of the bids and um, making sure that you are looking after your client who's selling the pieces mm. and looking after their reserve price, but also looking after the client in the room and making sure they're not overpaying. And so mm. as the auctioneer, you have a real duty to both my vendor and my buyer to make sure that they both receive the fairest price on the day. So I take that really seriously. So my biggest fear was that I would mess up the numbers. I mean, I have a real fear of just messing up in general. I'm, I'm <laughs> such a perfectionist, which is terrible because actually when you mess up something, as I've learned now... It leaves space for humor and cracking into the audience. And it's much more fun to say, you know what? I'm sorry, madam, in the back. I didn't see your bed, but I would love to take that. Let me, I'm going to take a few steps back. And we're gonna, I'm gonna take your bid. And yeah. thank you so much. Whatever. Um, so you can get some kind of humour in the room and, and levity and yes. help people. Right. So I've never been to a jury auction. Oh, I, I'd love to. Yeah. So I've been before. I can't remember if it was Bonhams or Sotheby's, but there was a, a lot of Andrew Grima pieces. Oh yes. Mm. And I was just like, let's go and ogle at the yes. best. So yes. So we went to View, which was lovely. I didn't go to the actual auction. And the only auctions I go to are in, in I've got a house in Suffolk in the countryside. Mm. And there's literally an auction house and they sell marrows and a bag of potatoes. And they go, have I got eight pence? Have I got 10 pence? Have I got 15 pence? I've got 20 pence for the, you know. That's and it's great. like that, which is like the totally okay. the other end. Of, like where all the farmers come in and, you know. No, we're on the same page because I'm from Kansas. And so... Um, mm. When you turn on the radio and you happen to be driving across the state of Kansas, let's say you're driving to Colorado to go to the mountains or something, I mean, you're going to hear a great deal of livestock auctions. And yeah. so when I had said I wanted to be an auctioneer, everyone just assumed I'd be that, you know, um, did it, um, did it, you know, <laughs> yeah, sort of really like crazy yeah. fast talker. And, you know, of course, it's, it's nothing like what it is. But you asked a question about you know, whether you needed to be an expert. And I suppose the thing is, is that you don't necessarily need to be an expert in the thing you're selling sometimes a bit of distance is helpful so sometimes if you're not thinking oh no this is mrs smith's piece and oh i just i know she really needs the money and i really want to get the price the pressure seems to build up and that atmosphere can then transfer to the room so sometimes it's great to have a bit of distance and then you can just have fun with it and go we're here at 20,000, 25,000, 28,000, 30,000. Any more? Any more? Great. One more. Fine. 32,000. And it just 
bumbles along and it's all very easy and fun and that's actually great. I suppose the main thing is to read the catalog ahead of time and to make sure there's no awkward pronunciations. Sometimes my high school French isn't mm -hmm. enough to rescue me from tricky words. So I took a Lalique sale a few years ago and there are some very specific names and I thought, you know, you don't want to get up there and start going this is the clock. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think a bit of preparation in terms of what you're selling is important. And it also shows the department that you've really made an effort. So, um, do you, yeah. Obviously, you do Antiques Roadshow, talking about the value of or what you think you can get from pieces. Because yes. I guess there's two things. One is you could have a kind of a boffin in a back room, but you need the person who's up there who goes, actually, these pieces right at the moment, mm. they're not fashionable, you know, it's going to be a harder sell, or, oh my gosh, you know, people are dying for this, it's going to go for more than that. So you're, you're still yes. participant in that procedure. Absolutely. So that is the crux of my job, conducting an auction. You know, I'll probably do that once a month, but, you know, my day-to-day -day is valuing jewelry, so folks will come mm. in, and um, the brilliant thing about sort of emerging from our COVID cocoons is that folks are coming in with their jewels and they just stop in and say, can you take a look at this? And I love it. I mean, that is the bread and butter of our job. And that's what I love doing is looking yeah. at things and handling them. And it's, it's basically like doing the roadshow on your work so cool. day. It's awesome. So yes, that's my job. Um, I was just looking and it seems to me that if you wanted to buy a nice piece of jewellery, just as a member of the public, mm. an auction would be a really good place. Now, some of the prices, I was just seeing like there was one that was auctioned recently. I can't remember which site it was, but there was a, a sort of Stephen Webster necklace that mm. I, I recognise and know and you think, but I mean, if you had bought that, mm. you know, new as a commission, it would have cost a lot more than it was sold at auction and there's some beautiful pieces yes absolutely i mean and also to, to your point about viewing auctions that's just an amazing way to gather your knowledge is just view as much as possible i do bid at auction quite a lot and i don't mean at the big london sales i mean at the smaller local yeah. sale rooms where you you know you might find a really interesting piece for 120 pounds or a thousand pounds i mean the variety of what's out there is is huge and with a little bit of knowledge then mm. yes you can really find some things that are completely unique and meaningful to you because they're something that you liked and purchased and you know valued for yourself rather than it being something that you're buying because someone else will appreciate the brand of it i personally feel that sort of quirkier pieces or antique pieces or things that are you know, a bit more soulful yeah. tend to mean more. Like I say, I do have a pair of like Paloma Picasso earrings and I love them and I know my mom bought them for me when I was broken into to replace some things that got stolen and I wear them all the time and I love them because they remind me of 80s which is the era I grew up in and power dressing and that mm. was what she was all about mm. and so you know that has a meaning to me but it's a different one to the antique pieces well you know so I love 
Kelsa Perezzi Paloma Picasso, you know, they're great because they design some great pieces of jewellery, but some of the nicest purchases are women buying for themselves. Mm. And what we don't involve ourselves with here, there can be an element with jewellery of kind of proprietorial. So yes. sometimes a guy can buy a piece for a woman as a sort of like, well, look how much money I've spent. So you're kind of mine now or something. I don't know. There's, mm, there's yeah, a kind I of agree. a history of ownership and things, which I'm not very happy with. But that doesn't make me see some of the pieces on your auction sites and think, oh my God, I'd love to have that. Because <laughs> we, you know, we try and make jewellery that's affordable, but I'm the same as any other jewellery. When, when a famous, fantastic piece comes in, it is it's so alluring that it just you know makes your eyes sparkle doesn't it totally and for me it's the story it's always the story and Mm -hmm. that's what's fantastic about working in an auction house is because really it's about if we're allowed to tell the provenance you know if if the client's happy for that Mm -hmm. to happen then that's fantastic and that's the same as doing an antiques roadshow because you know really you might see thousands of people in a day and sitting there starting at 8 a.m. and you have to see the last person Mm. so we might be there till seven o'clock at night but it was a long day but you're seeing a huge spread of pieces and um the stories behind them it's incredible they just layer up and layer up and layer up so i wanted to make a podcast about jewelry because actually jewelry serves a lot of functions and Mm. so for some people it can be to show how wealthy you are or how successful you are for other people it can show that you're married it can show your religion can demonstrate Mm. things so i'm really interested just to chat to people about their own jewelry and to uncover the stories because that's kind of what matters in jewelry isn't it like the value and other things are kind of important but then what matters to people the reason you'd run into your house if it was burning would be to save the piece that your great auntie bought over from austria or whatever it is because yes. it's a story that's important yeah. and so that's what i like so shall we shall we look at some jewelry let's Kate, do it and, and see what thing. We where should we start i think i want to start with this one this is so a cool. um describe in your in your best auctioneer's voice because you'll be better at describing things <laughs> This is a three-strand cultured pearl bracelet, but the three strands are joined by, I suppose, rectangular link batons. They're mounted on top of the pearls, actually, they're strung into them, and those are pierced with foliage. And then each of those little batons, I suppose, are applied with sapphire and diamonds in a floral cluster. So you've got a ruby in the center of the the flower and then the petals are uh, sapphires. I love the color of the sapphires. They're not all the same color Mm. and they're quite pale, really, Mm -hmm. which, you know, may not be the most fashionable color exactly but it's my favorite so i understand i don't know if you know this because you're a proper gemologist but very few colored stones that come on the market haven't been treated in some way Mm -hmm. to enhance the color yes so we found a supplier that all the stones have just come out of the ground color the sapphires we, we use from madagascar and i love that and that's what i like about this bracelet what i love about the stones is that you have slightly different shades of sapphires and some of them are quite pale but it's almost it's not really a cornflower blue but i don't know what to call it it's a light pale blue. blue it's a and pale it, blue which makes it delicate and beautiful and natural i'm really interested because what you say of this supplier with the madagascar sapphires mm. because um sapphires in particular most of them that are kind of 
commonly occurring in most jewelry that you would buy from yeah. a high street jeweler are certainly, you know, heat treated, you know, you name it. So it's fantastic. I should put you in touch with a guy because he's just setting up in Sri Lanka a cutting facility that is all run and cut by women. So it's a, wow. it's a female That's... cutting industry. We know where the stones were found. We know who washed them. We'll know who's cut them. And it's just a great process. And we know that these people were all paid well and the environment was cared for and their communities were paid for. So I think that's like really key. You don't want to buy a piece that's caused such a death and destruction along the way. I mean, I obviously work a lot with antique jewellery and mm. it, by its nature, comes with a story. Mm. But jewellery that you're buying for yourself, brand new, has a story, but we don't know its story. And so what you are able to do with those stones is give your client... The story. Depth, which yeah. is so nice. And, and, so nice. and it's all sort of nicely guaranteed and things. Right. So, okay, so this, you, bracelet. this bracelet is absolutely gorgeous. If you wore that, you'd look a million bucks. So I love it because um, it was my grandma's. Oh. And um, before she passed away, she told me that I should wear it for my wedding. And I did. And um, oh. she passed away before my wedding. And so it was really special. It is not a practical piece of jewelry because it's a bracelet, which number one, I mean, I clunk my arms on everything. I'm not uh, the most graceful. Um, it also catches on yeah, I was things. Say, it could be catchy, but yeah, it's we, really catchy. We kind of prioritize aesthetics over catchy around here. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. you have to sort of float through weddings without moving your arms against anything. But totally. Yeah. You know, so this bracelet for me is super meaningful because I've only worn it at my wedding mm. and I'll wear it next at my son's baptism in August. So it's the thing that I suppose if I were to value it, oh gosh, I've never really valued my own jewellery. Um, I'd say it's probably worth 700 to 1,000 pounds. It's not at auction. So it's not worth, you know, thousands. But to me, it is probably the most special piece of jewellery I have because I keep it back for those special occasions. And it's only come out at those times. So to me, it feels the most rare, the most special. When I was thinking about these pieces of jewelry, I was thinking how these stories kind of layer on top of each other. So this bracelet, I love it. I think it's beautiful. It's so delicate. It's very dainty. It's very feminine as well. It really is. Um, and so it has all these connotations to it. And I feel like it is something that because of its design, I would only want to wear it at a wedding, a baptism. Mm. And in fact... Those are events where I, I suppose I'm embodying quite a very traditional role as a woman, you know, wife, mother. And I just wonder how I would feel to wear this auctioneering because I wear this ring, which is a diamond and sapphire ring. Mm. Um, so it's an oval cut sapphire and it is mounted collet set sapphire and it is surrounded by milligrain set diamonds yeah and it's got a pave set diamonds on the band as well and it's set in platinum it's mm. got all the right words so i would call setting on the sapphire a rub over setting rub over okay because yeah. it doesn't have claws so what you do is you you make an oval in the platinum and then you cut away and drop the stone in and then push the walls over all the way around so it's sort of held all the way around what you can't see is that <clears> alex is sort of gesturing as though he's sort of <laughs> around the ring and it's well, really fascinating to watch him handle the jewelry from a jeweler's perspective it's really neat
it's so funny because I love to hear your descriptions because I just wish I was more fluent in using the right words on how to describe things. So we then have a wide oval border around the sapphire and the diamonds are set in. And the way they're set, you drill a hole that sort of the, the diamond sits in and then you get an engraving tool, which is a sharp pointy tool. And you raise these grains and push those grains over onto the diamonds to hold them in place. And in the process of doing that, you're making a pattern because you're, you're engraving out material. And so you're left with this sort of star shaped pattern with the diamonds in it and the thing that I love because when I started learning how to make jewellery the first project we did was something called a bar brooch which was basically a long bar with diamonds set in it and it had this gallery so around the side you've got this filigree gallery and we had to pierce all that out by hand and clean it all up and it was a blooming nightmare I wow. think this one might be more constructed than pierced I feel like it's it. like a wire that's yeah. a, I mean, that's what it feels like to me like a filigree wire that's been put but in what a job like the craftsmanship is so brilliant and I'm always in awe of people that can make jewelry like that because I can kind of make bees and ants and flowers and things but yeah. that is so skilled so that's beautiful so tell us about this, so this string. Do you, would you wear these two together because one's, so, one's gold and one's silver so I don't mind mixing mm. metals because my wedding and engagement ring are platinum and I wear typically wear three gold necklaces mm. every day so I'm totally cool with that but you know I've never worn those all together and I think because I'm left-handed I would need to wear the bracelet on my right hand for some reason that makes me feel more comfortable and then I would wear this ring as a cocktail ring on my right hand and it just feels like too much but maybe it's not I will tell you this I wear this ring and I have worn it at every important event in my career since I was given it and I was given it in the airport so my grandmother had passed away yeah Yeah, same grandmother and I'd been given the bracelet knowing that I'd be wearing it for my wedding and then my aunt had been given my grandmother's diamond ring and my mum was given this sapphire ring. Mm. And um, I was sitting in the Kansas City airport with my mom, And we were about ready to say goodbye. And I was flying back to London. And I was saying, oh, you know, mom, that ring is so nice. You know, it looks so pretty. And she's like, why don't you try it on? And I was like, oh, I couldn't possibly. And she's like, no, no, try it on. And I did. And she just said, it looks better on you. You just take it. And my oh flight was going gosh. and they're calling boarding and I'm standing there. I was like, mom, I can't take the ring. It means too much. And she said, I will never get as much good out of it as you will. And so I'll just always remember the fact that we were in the airport and she just said, just take it. And anyway, I've worn it at every job interview, every auction, all of the auctioneering tryouts, every big sale. Yeah. Your mom and your grandmom have got your back. Kind of, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're sort of with you there. It's That's great, how I feel it? when I wear it, which reminded me of sort of talismans and oh my gosh, Alex. So I was given a gavel by my mentor, Hugh. How cute. Um, yeah. That's the hammer thing or, or, or the, the, the clacky thing that go, not, not, not you sort of knock down when you're auctioning, just in case anyone didn't know. Yeah, being. yeah. And anyways, given a gavel, we, took, we were allowed to pick our gavel and it felt very like Harry Potter, choose your wand thing. I mean, whatever, guys. I mean, I love bad movies and teenage um, books, apparently. <laughs> so anyway, so we were going in and choosing my gavel and I remember this is a very special thing. Anyway, fast forward. I, I don't know what happened, but I, I lost it and I cried when I couldn't find I honestly it, it felt so upsetting to me and I, I was given another gavel as a leaving present from a from another job and um, I thought well at least I've got another one this is fantastic but it didn't feel imbibed with it's my original one yeah yeah my thing and anyway I got up there and I took the sale I auctioneered the sale it was a great sale a great energy and I realized that I didn't need my special you know 
Harry Potter, you know, yeah. gavel or whatever. Yeah, you didn't need it your did, magic. Yeah, I didn't need the magic gavel. It was because you. I had it. And it was just this moment of like, okay, I got this. Not in a kind of like, I'm so awesome yeah, kind yeah, of way, yeah. but it was just like a, okay, it's not the gavel. You're the, you're the gavel. It's like in you. It's not It's not yeah. in an object that you, maybe you need an object to, to help you get there. Yes, I, that's it. Yes, that's exactly it. I feel like I, you know, that thing sort of fake it till you make it. I felt I needed that spirit of, yeah, the sort of magic of making it through the tryouts gave me this sense of accomplishment, gave me a sense of like good enough. Mm. And then not having that made me feel like I I can handle it, right? But it's so interesting, yeah, with these jewels because um, it's a different feeling. I do feel every time I wear this sapphire ring that I have my grandma with me. And she would actually love the field I work in. She really loved jewelry. She's the type of woman that like never left the house without her makeup and nails and hair done. And she was wonderful, so kind. She became like a second parent to me because my dad died when I was 17. And um, she sort of stepped in. She was always really important, but... Just became much more important after that, and I feel yeah, I feel like they've got my back. Like they're both there when I wear this. You know, I've talked to other people, and it's like Harry Potter. What's it called? You can sort of hold on to something and then get sucked through a portal to a different place. Oh, yeah, is it a Horcrux? Or something? Yes, I don't yeah, yeah, called, they're but, Horcruxes. You know. That's absolutely good knowledge. But I've talked to people about their jewelry, and they've they've often said this is a bit like that. So, mm. so so you can almost like feel or smell or see that person, and it transports you back to them. And it's so weird that, that we need an Object. I think human beings were always needed an object because, you know, prehistoric people, if they killed a tiger, they'd string some teeth around them to yeah. somehow connect them to that. Or if they had a loved one, they'd have a sort of bone or something, to, you know, some, yes. some way of connecting. Yes, so absolutely. I think we all have these feelings and these emotions, but sometimes we need, a, we need to put that into a physical object that can then transport us. So that's the kind of Horcrux thing. Which, yeah, so, I love that. Which is what I love about jewellery, and I love that about this ring, because it does suit you. I was sort of building up a picture of your grandmother, but then I was thinking, why didn't you call your dog Toto? Because this all sounds oh, a bit... You know, oh. on the stoop in Kansas City oh, Airport. I know. Oh, but anyway, to that, that, to that I wear kind of, I would say like monthly. How often do you wear the bracelet? So I've worn it probably like once every 10 years. So I hardly ever wear it, but I'm going to challenge myself to wear that next time I take a sale. Beautiful bracelet, beautiful ring. And what yeah, else What and else I, should we look at? Let's see. Okay, so very simple diamond solitaire. But again, it's the type of thing where there's not much to talk about. I think right. it's kind of 0.7 carats. And, you know, I could tell you it's grading, but that's not important to me. It was my great grandma's ring. And that's a stone from your great grandma's ring. Yeah, so it was my How grandmother's cute. mother, and my mom had it remounted for me in a mm. necklace, and I wear it every day. And so I guess the thing is, is that that necklace feels like a part of me, whereas the ring is symbolic of important things, and mm. the bracelet is a sort of once every ten years kind of thing. It's just a sense of frequency and layers, and like that necklace feels like it's a part of me. It's terrible. I'm going to tell your listeners. This awful thing is that I never take this necklace off. I work out in it, I shower in it and like that is like probably the worst thing I mean. We get that all. It's I know for jewellery care you should never on, do that but It's all solid, you know, so it's and fine And it's a diamond, so. We make, we make gold-plated jewellery oh, and yes. people come and say, oh, you know, some of the plates want I had it for five years yeah. and they say but I've got to tell you, I've literally never taken it off I sleep, oh. I go to the swimming pool with all the chlorine, I oh, put my God. perfume and cream and it's like, yeah, yeah that's why the plates want a bit <laughs> 
But um, that's anyway, really nice. Can so you tell me about the cut of this um, stone? It's a round, brilliant cut. So, so being a jeweler, people keep showing me things. And can you tell me about that? And I kind of say, my friends don't know if it's a piece of glass or a diamond because oh, I'm yeah. not a gemologist and you need to have the training to know. Yeah. So I rely on gemologists to tell oh. me about the stones that we're buying. But presumably it's quite an old stone. Yeah. So. I mean, and of course now it's showing my lack of knowledge in terms of cuts, but it's not old enough to be an old, to cut. Be an old cut. Styles change as the manufacturing process becomes more and more sophisticated and mm. it changes to let more light into the stone basically to get mm. all those better fire and brilliance out of the diamond's unique um sort of so more modern stone may well have more facets and it may well have the angles more accurately calculated to give more color back when we're looking at stones we prefer stones with character and color so mm. where you get you know, I talk about the sapphires, they've all got little variations in colour, they might have inclusions, they have things in. So it's not kind of just mm. about the value of the stone. I actually prefer something that, that you'd be able to look back at and go, I recognise that stone because it's mine, rather than just going for a, a really kind of bog standard, you know, one carat VS, one whatever, this sort of thing. You might not be able to differentiate from its friends. So I quite like interesting stones, characterful stones. I really appreciate that. Like Georgian jewellery, for example, is so beautiful because the stones just feel watery. There's something different about them. And yeah, I love those. I love yeah. that necklace. That's a sort of constant wearer. And you wear it together with, oh, yeah. with this one. So, yeah, so which this is one great because I love new. this. I love the layering up. I think that's what's really nice about jewellery wearing now is the layering up. Yeah. So I love the layering too. So I started with this solitaire and then this last summer, my mom, again, she's a big feature in all my, my jewels, bought me this. She worked with a dear friend of mine called Bear Brooksbank, who is a jewellery designer. And it's just a circular gold disc. And in it is set a very almost microscopic peridot, yeah. which yeah. is my birthstone. And it is engraved, I carry your heart with me, I carry it in my heart, which is a verse from an E.E. E. Cummings poem. And it was really special because I gave birth to my son in January and my mom was supposed to come and meet him and spend time with us. And then there was COVID, so she couldn't come. And I suppose I found being a new mom and going through those first six months, probably some of the most difficult times I've ever had. I found it really challenging, the lack of sleep. And I've always been a very independent person. I'm an only child and, you know, I've lived in the UK now for almost 16 years and I just wanted my mom, you know? I just, there was this, this instinct of, I just want my mom with me and she couldn't make it. And it was the first time, I suppose, in, I guess, then 15 years of living abroad where we weren't just a plane ride away. And I know that so many people had that experience, whether your mom lived you know, in Cheshire or in, you know, North Carolina or wherever. I mean, it was, it was impossible for anyone to meet. And that was just so heartbreaking for so many people. And so this was really special because yeah, it got sent to me on my birthday and we had a little Zoom call or FaceTime or oh, whatever. I cried. Oh my God, I cried. I opened it. I think, and... I think that, you know, just because a lot of other people are having trouble too doesn't in any way minimize what you went through, does it? And um, isn't it funny again that um, it's a piece of jewelry that makes that? 
that connection. And I, and I think what I love about that is it's on a slightly longer chain. So the, these two necklaces, not only are they going to layer up nicely, but that necklace is actually going to rest right mm. next to your heart. And it's always going to be there on your skin, which is sort of different to a box of chocolates or, a, I don't know, something nice for the kitchen. Or, I don't know. It's, it's going to make me cry. <laughs> that is so special. I never really thought about this is the true difference between a sort of jewellery specialist or expert and a designer is that you are thinking about how they're worn, where they fall. Though yes. That is part of you. it's sort of made out of gold not because gold's valuable it's made out of gold because gold is the material that isn't going to sort of react with your skin and it's mm. going to last a long time and and, yeah. and so you're sort of choosing things because of the emotions and, and what you want to achieve behind it and I think some people look at jewellery as it's gold mm. because that's valuable and it's diamond because it's valuable and then they're looking at the value of something and actually the value of most people's jewellery isn't really in the, in the monetary value it's in the, the emotional value we've got four pieces of jewellery here on this little blanket on the table and you know you've just got so much emotion and memory and importance there mm. um, another nice thing that we, we've had before was um, some stories of jewellery where people's houses burnt down um, oh. and the other thing about jewelry is it because you wear it often it's the only thing that people get out with of course and it I sort of survives these awful things oh so you're talking about the gold there's this john dunn poem called a valediction for forbidding morning and i think i had to read it in english class this isn't like my sort of saturday night <laughs> read it's like i'm a sort of harry potter level there um but anyway there's a part of that poem that basically is talking about two people separating like someone's dying basically and mm. it says gold to airy thinness beat let that be not a breach but an expansion and I probably have not given that it's due thing but just the idea that you will always be connected with that person but that mm. it, it's gold mm. you know that gets beat to the thinnest mm. layer and that always left of such a big imprint on me and I suppose I had to read it when I was sort of 16 or something but yeah it was it just made a really really big impact on me anyway Cute. that poem but Cute. Yeah, right. um, this one is an emerald ring. Um, I love that. I saw and that. And I wanted to bring it because it's not laden with emotional heaviness. I really love emeralds. They're my favorite gemstone. Would you describe it in, in your... Because I love mm. the way you describe it. Sure. So, so it's not an emerald cut emerald. It's a square cut emerald. That's what I would call mm -hmm. it. Just a, a square sort of mixed cut. And um, it is... A rubber set looks mm -hmm. like to me. Like describe. Tyler. I mean, it almost looks like maybe slightly sort of chrysoprase or something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very watery color. And these colors are the colors that I absolutely love. Quite often, emeralds are so heavily dark and green and I think a sort of expensive one would be yes exactly so the best sort of color quote unquote emerald would be that the sort of deep bluish green mm. but I reckon that's probably a Zambian emerald it's a slightly yellower green to it um, it could be an Indian emerald but yeah I suppose probably Zambian There's just based on the color um, we've but got you... hammering in the background oh, yeah. that's the but that's like... we've left all the doors open by the way um, listener because yes. um, it's really hot yes 
<laughs> so there's noises coming from left, right, and center. I've never seen an emerald that color. I just think it's gorgeous. So I love it because because I really wanted an emerald ring. I love emeralds; they're my favorite gemstone. Um, and I really wanted one. I didn't want one that was perched up high because emeralds are brittle, mm. and so I didn't want it to be vulnerable because I wanted to actually wear it. If you're going to become a jeweler, never do a rub over setting on an emerald. I mean, maybe you can. Yeah. But my God, they are so soft uh. for setting. <laughs> It's so much nicer to set something like a sapphire or a diamond that's that's a hard stone. Give it to somebody else to set. That's what you want to do. Just make me so nervous. Yeah. yeah. So um, how did you come by so that? This, it's beautiful. This, yeah. one, this I love because my husband won a bet in 2016. And my husband doesn't anymore, but he used to play poker. And he did that professionally and then went into wow. the poker world and became sort of a marketing and then a content developer. And now he works for himself and he has his own business but um occasionally he puts a bet on and he won and he gave me 10% of his winnings and I went and bought myself this emerald ring I pitched in a little of my own money and I bought it in the silver vaults actually oh um, lovely is it a, an old one or is it yeah, a new one it's an old one yeah. so it's period I think probably sort of 1930s ish mm. my guess yeah I loved it and I went ahead and just bought it because it was exactly what I was looking for. And yeah, I had the money from from my husband. And um, I suppose I don't wear it as regularly as the sapphire because I'm so paranoid of the emeralds. Looks great I on just you when do. you just slipped it on. It looks Thank great, you. doesn't it? I, I do love it. I do love it. I wear it a lot more in the summer, I suppose, because it just feels more summery to mm. me. But um, so anyway, so yeah, they don't have to be kind of laden with emotion. But I just love that because it's got a happy upbeat feeling to it it feels like you're winning when you're wearing it because the money came from his winnings and it doesn't feel so heavy it just feels light and fun and but that's I think, why i like wearing it i think that's one of the nice things and one of the stories that we've got through is you have pieces that are incredibly emotionally laden that mean a lot but also jewelry can just be fun and yeah. can be pretty and just like wearing it you yeah, know so totally like so why not we're just going to talk about these which are yeah uh, i bought at a local auction house and they are hysterical I think there might be something that maybe a 16 year old girl would wear but basically your dog yeah they're a spaniel (laughs) and he's set with like probably a microscopic little diamond in there somewhere they're little pendant earrings and they're in the shape of a spaniel and they're cut out and the gold is I guess chased and engraved they're just a bit of fun and at least they bother to do a left and a right because sometimes you know you can when you make an earring that you can sort of just have them both facing the same yeah and again they're just silly and fun and I suppose working in, in the jewelry world sometimes I feel embarrassed to wear things like that because they're not sort of serious jewels but do you, do you they make me happy that, like my friend who is a master of wine mm. when he comes over for supper and yeah. he sort of brings a bottle everyone's sort of Ooh. looking at you like what's on what's he bought yeah like, oh my god the pressure you know maybe he just stopped by Sainsbury's like the rest of us do and thought, is this a £10 night or a £20 night? Yeah. Or is this even a £30 night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it does, but I mean, do you get the same pressure when people... I, well, I feel you know, like it... Checking you out, what like, a, what does she wear? Yeah, and uh, interestingly, so these, I think they're solid gold. I, yeah, they are. I'm pretty sure they're, I mean, yeah, they think got, they're marked. Yeah, they're marked. So Kate's got a really nice loop that's a yeah. proper grown-up loop. And loop is uh, a French word, and it's the jewellery word for a little magnifying glass that you... 
hold up to your eye. So the way you use them is you hold them right up to your eyeball close and have a, have a close-up look of jewellery. And I'm assuming that's a hallmark in the back there. Oh, yeah. No, and actually they're not. They're silver gilt, so they're 925. Oh, 925. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Which, but they, they feel really nice. See, that's us, but it's not quite knowing what. But yeah, see, there you go. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to photograph your loop I and like put them. it on the website page, if I may. Cool. Yeah, yeah, let's chuck it in here. I want people to see what a proper bona fide expert uses yeah. to look at jewellery. And if you ever want to look smart looking at jewellery, oh, get yourself a loop and then you look like you know what you're talking about. 100%. When I bought this ring from the Silver Vault, actually, I had my loop with me and I swear it knocked down the price by half because he thought I knew what I was She's doing. She's an expert. Exactly. I'm going to photograph it if I may. Yeah, do it. And I suppose the thing is, is that it does feel a little bit like, oh gosh, you know, I got my jewellery out, but it really runs the gamut from... You know, mm-hmm. my, it just, it feels like a part of me and it's, um, diamond and platinum, but runs the gamut mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. that to those little silver gilt spaniel earrings, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a bit of fun from too. From one, one end to the other. These random. They look so fun. What are they? These are. And where are they sort of old ones that you've yeah, found? Yeah, they're 1950s uh, costume jewelry. I have not worn them because... God, I think you could wear this like, to goldsmiths again. You I know, think, you you look a million bucks in them. I think they're it's so much fun. So to describe them, they almost look a bit like sort of beetles or something, but they're purple ovals with probably foiled back yes. glass um, stones on them. Yeah. And they're set in these settings with loads and loads of claws. And it's funny because you can rattle the stones in the claws. Oh which is, I just love them. But they're, they're so difficult. sparkly. Yeah. That, and you know. the foil backing or whatever the treatment is that, that's on it creates a sort of rainbow effect. And this is called Aurora, well, it's a range of jewelry that was really popular at the time called Aurora Borealis or Northern Lights or whatever. Anyway, so I have probably like four pairs of this type of earrings. A couple I wear more, reg- well, I don't wear regularly, but I wear, I've never worn the purple ones before. But I just love them. And there's a couple brands like Hollycraft. Um, was a big brand in the US. But people like Christian Dior were using um, these crystal stones to make costume jewelry with his fashion. So, you know, I mean, I think of them as kind of lowbrow, so to speak, but I think they're really fun and I love them. So I think that's one of the problems in jewelry world. Jewelry has merit based on its financial value yeah and also by its history so a posh person you know the 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 czar and czarina would have had a had a great stone that then might have been cut to have made a a necklace for queen so-and-so and it's got that grand history and it'll be put in a museum yeah and then you will have art gallery jewelry where you might for example get a pile of sticks and glue them together and hang them from the ceiling <laughs> and call it a neck piece and then yeah. that would be in a museum as well because that's how oh, wow how highbrow that is for someone like me that always kind of really gets our goat because what we're doing is we're just making all the stuff in between we're just making yeah. jewelry so when i sell my jewelry it could be just because someone thinks it's pretty and they want to look pretty they, they want to go out on a date and yeah. look pretty and it's really important or it might be that their grandmother left them some money and their name begins with a B and they want a B or whatever it is and it's this is going to be a piece that they're going to treasure all their life and pass on to their children because it connects them to their mm. heritage and their history. It could be immensely important. But but the problem I find with the with the sort of institution of the jewelry world is that yeah. you only really want to talk about the the big, posh, expensive pieces or the incredibly arty pieces. That's not what you've put in front of me. No. In front of me, you've put a wide range of 
very um, normal. A lot of normal. I mean, then I, I didn't want to be rude, but a lot no. of people would have jewelry like this in their jewelry box. And yeah. this is what they wear. This is what's important to you. And this is what, what matters totally. in, in life. And you need it and this is to also navigate what... through life to help you get through your birth of your son and to connect you with your with the place that you've come from and your mother and your grandmother and stuff so yeah absolutely and also I'd say like I think sometimes when people come in bring their jewelry in for valuations and now I kind of understand a little bit more how they might feel because it is sort of like you're putting in your most expensive things quote-unquote out there and to yeah. be to be looked at and actually you know no one's really judging it's just, it is what it is, you know, yeah. and it's a pleasure to see folks jewelry. And that's how I feel when I see clients coming in for valuations. I think, oh, thank you so much for coming. It's so great to see this. Yeah, I really is enjoyed it, chatting today. Is doing Antiques Roadshow fun or is it basically just cold? Because sometimes it looks pretty cold. Oh, it can be very cold. It can be very hot. And I, I bet also, I just, I just sort of see the ones where everyone's trying to look jolly, but you can tell that it's probably sub-zero and there's a gale blowing. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> We did one in Lytham St. Anne's. And I was wearing like a parka and a scarf and everything. And I mean, because we are sitting outside all day at a table. And of course, part of the roadshow is creating a TV show. But the vast majority of what happens on the day is valuing jewelry and paintings and books and whatever. I mean, that is why we are there is to service the queue and see people and um thank you so much jewelry expert proper jewelry expert that means this is an official podcast that we have jewelry experts on. <laughs> thank you for coming you've got a new job so that's exciting yes so i was gonna say what's new well new's yeah. already happening for you right um yeah what's new it's been a lot really because um i had my son he's 18 months old and that always feels new and just started a new job so um it's wonderful and i feel at home there which is great yeah I mean it feels definitely feels like a new era having come out of maternity leave and back into an office again so and it's tough and there are challenges aren't there you know like if you have kids and work and and husbands and everything in life you've got to try and fit it all in and it's not easy and I just never understood until I had a a little one myself. It is real. Well, you know, everyone says it is very boring, but mine have all grown up and they've all buggered off and they're all having great fun. And Aww. I'm left rattling around the house on my own, thoroughly depressed Aww. with my depressed dog. Oh, and fun. so um, these are the goblins, so make the most of it because it's yeah. great fun, even though it's tiring. Oh, but thank yeah. you thank so you. much for coming, Kate. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery-related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery-making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see. Just go to www.alexmonroe.com.